Welcome to the Brave Daily Podcast. At Brave Daily, we offer Logos Bible software coaching, Christian book reviews, and relevant interviews to reflect on life as a believer to help keep us all growing. For more information, head to our website at bravedaily.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Brave Daily author series podcast and video video interview. I've got such a special guest with me today. It's Myron Walters, a fantastic author. We're going to talk about his book, Intentional Preaching, A View from the Pew. It's on Hendrickson Publishers. It came out in 2020. I've had the opportunity to read this book. It's fantastic. We're going to put links in the description so you can get a copy. Uh, But I want to introduce uh, Myron to you. He's a graduate of Harvard University. He went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He graduated with his Juris Doctorate from Boston College Law School. He's a partner at Walters Lacey Law Firm in trial and transactional work in business and real estate. He's an elder and past moderator of the Board of Elders. He was ordained in the year 2000, and uh, the, the church that he's a part of is First Presbyterian Church, North Shore, Ipswick, Massachusetts. He's the assistant professor of business law at Gordon-Conwell in Massachusetts since 1994. He's a lay preacher. He's been married to his wonderful wife, Nina, for 25 years. They have a son and two daughters. He's a master's track and field competitor, ranked sixth in the U.S. in the 400 meter in the 55 to 60 age division. And he is involved in skiing, biking, piano, choral conductor, riding. Uh, Myrwin, you are a busy man. I'm surprised that you've not fallen asleep yet. <laughs> and how are you doing today? To do. There's too much to do. There's too, there is. You're right. There's too much to do. Well, before we talk about your book and preaching, you're a lawyer, which is uh, fascinating. I, as soon as I heard about your book and I looked you up online, I thought a lawyer and a preacher, there's got to be a joke there somewhere. So maybe we can write it uh, <laughs> by the end of our interview. But I, I do want to talk about your uh your career as a lawyer, what's one of the most interesting cases that you've had to be a part of uh, since you've been a lawyer? Well, one that comes to mind, I, I was representing a builder, and uh, it, the case had to do with whether the builder had built a property correctly, and had he made mistakes in terms of measurements and the engineering. And these cases are really won or lost a lot of times on your expert witness. So we found an expert witness. This guy was retired, but he had worked at a major engineering firm. This was really just a house that had been built. So we brought him in. I think he was doing it really for fun. And, I, and part of the thing you do with a witness, an expert witness, you put them on the stand, and then you ask them about their experience because you're trying to wow the jury about their experience. So he said, well, why don't I start on the West Coast? And he started on the West Coast, and he explained all these things, these opera houses and these major buildings that he'd engineered. And then he came to the end of his thing and he said, he looked up and he looked around and he said, yeah, and I engineered this courtroom too. And he'd done the whole courthouse and you could see the judges, you know, jaw drop and the jury looked at us and suffice it to say, we won the case. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I had the opportunity to be on jury duty once in my life and I absolutely found the process riveting. I walked away. Uh, I know people sometimes avoid jury duty. But I found it great. I thought this is, we need lawyers and judges because this is a world I don't understand. And so it it was, uh, I I hope to go back one day uh, because I just enjoyed sitting judging people. Uh, No, I I didn't do that. (laughs) But this book, Intentional Preaching, uh, A View from the Pew, I've read this. This book is for preachers, seasoned preachers, new preachers. I wish I would have had this early in my ministry. Uh, People thinking about preaching, wanting to be a preacher. It's also, I think, 
If you're a person in a church and you struggle with preaching, I think you need to read this book because it'll give you a fresh perspective of what preachers go through. Um, if you know, it, it can be difficult what preachers go through. So I want to encourage everyone to read this book. It is winsome with lots of stories. The chapters, the segments, I think there's over a hundred of them are quick to read. And I want to read my favorite chapter uh, before I ask any questions, because this was just, as soon as I read this chapter, I thought this, this is my kind of preaching book. The chapter title, this is on page 29, the chapter title is actually longer than the chapter itself, and it is, this is it. Uh, everybody sit down and get ready. Pee before you preach and blow your nose. And then the chapter is, can't put it more simply than that. I've read probably hundreds of preaching books in my life, and I've never run into a chapter that good in a preaching book. So thank you for writing that, Marilyn. That's great. Thank and, you. Well, this is a book uh, that it did. It interested me. I reached out to you um, because I wanted to talk about this book because it's fascinating. You come across in the book as a pastor to preachers. Uh, someone who puts their arm around preachers and says, these are the things that you really need to be concerned about. And you cover a wider range of topics. But why did you read this book? And how long did it take for this idea to stew before you started to hash it out? Well, I, I went to seminary then after, after graduating college and before going to law school to just see if I was called to the pastorate. I grew up in a home. My father was a professor of preaching at Gordon Connell for over 35 years. So preaching was just the center in our household, and it was the most important thing. And so you're growing up in that atmosphere with a homiletician. Uh, we'd sit around and have our, our daily devotionals, and he would go in the study in the morning, and he would uh, come out in a half hour with about three sermons prepared. And then he would grill us, and we'd have to guess all the alliterative sermon titles and headings. So we were steeped in it from a young age, my sister and I. Uh, she ended up teaching uh, church history. She's at Gordon Connell now teaching church history. I went into the law. When I was at seminary, I could see what folks like you have as a real call. And I knew that I wasn't called to the pulpit ministry in the way that you all were. So I went off to law school. Uh, but I continued that love and interest in preaching. And I worked with a number of people. And I've coached a number of folks over the years, uh, students at the seminary and then pastors uh, in their pulpits. And, uh, and I'd write things down. And then I'd sort of collect these stories and ideas and some encouragements and uh, decided at some point to compile them and then it turned into a book. No, that, that's great. Um, and it is a book about preaching and there are conversations today about what preaching is and isn't. I've got people in my congregation, they would say something like, St. Francis Assisi said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And in your book, I would imagine you don't advocate quite for that understanding of what preaching is. So what is preaching in your mind uh, and what is it not? You've got a, a chapter in there that just ends with preaching is preaching, but what is it? It's this unique moment, this unique piece of time in our lives, in the week, in the day, and in the service, unlike anything else. So you, you know what it's like to prepare the sermon. You're, you're wrestling with God's word. You're seeking to understand it in a way that you can then communicate the truth to us. And when you go into the pulpit, you're not just lecturing. You know, preaching is not lecturing. Lecturing is kind of... Uh, monotonal it has it, it, the shape of a lecture is essentially flat doesn't mean it's not exciting but uh, your goal is to communicate information to us I, I, I teach business law my goal is to communicate information in a way that's winsome and exciting but at the end of the day I want them to walk away with knowledge 
that's part of what you do in, in a sermon. But, uh, you know, it's not acting. So a lot of people will view it as acting and, and sometimes they'll critique themselves if they're, if, you know, they're not, if they're acting that's wrong. Yeah, we should be, preaching is not that. There's an emotive act aspect to it, but it's not acting. Uh, it's so many things it's not. It is its own thing. It's this time where you're bringing the word to us in a way that is engaging everything about us. So you're engaging our minds, but you're engaging our spirits, of course, our souls, our body even, our minds, our emotions, our psyches. You're engaging a whole person. As a result of your sermon, what am I supposed to feel? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to know? What am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to be, simply? And how am I supposed to understand God, his attributes, his character, his plan for me, his plan for the world? And how do I live that out as I leave every Sunday morning? So it's just unlike anything else. It's its unique form of communication. Uh, you're standing there telling us what God is telling us through his word. Nothing else is like that. Oh, it's, I just get excited hearing you talk about it. What I love about preaching is it is the privilege to say the things that God has said after him. And so it's not new ideas. It's, it's the faith handed down, but it's, there's something, you're exactly right. There's something uh, unlike it. And there's also something unlike bad preaching, uh, <laughs> which is its own. Maybe I'll write the book on bad preaching, but what would you say? I wish I would have had your book uh, years ago. I started preaching 17 years ago. And I had, when I, I got my first job as a preacher, I was 21 years old, which was a mistake, both on my part and the congregation's part. But I had about six weeks of sermons of these are the things the church needs to hear. And then I thought, oh, no, I'm not as good as I thought I was, because I ran to those things that I knew the church needed to hear. They needed me to save it. And what would you say, how do you encourage someone to find their own voice? How do you encourage someone who gets into it and preaching is repetition. Doing it week after week is different than just saying, I'm going to have a, a sermon here. It's different to be in the pulpit each week. So how do you encourage someone or what would you say to someone who's maybe starting out or they've been in it long enough to know, they know this is a weightier matter than they originally gave it attention to. They can't get by just on their raw skill and talent anymore. How do we encourage that person? Well, it's, uh, preaching is part science and part art. Yeah. And I don't know that I've met a preacher who's in his 70s or 80s who thinks they ever preached a perfect sermon mm -hmm. or they've done learning. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like Tiger Woods. You ask him if you've ever played a perfect round of golf and he, he'll tell you he's still chasing it. Jack Nicholas, right? Yeah. They just, uh, they've never done that. So, but there is, there are just components to a good sermon. And so, you know, choosing a text, studying the text carefully, make sure you've exegeted it, you understand it, seeing what the points are that, that, that come out of that text that you're going to want to communicate. Now, choosing illustrations that bring it alive, that, that reach out to where we are. And, it, you know, so much of good preaching is making decisions. And the reason I call it intentional preaching is making intentional decisions to either, in this sense, communicate well what you're trying to communicate or eliminate the things that are hindering communication. So if you pick a text that has a difficult question to it, whether it's is Adam a real man, did he really live? Or you know, was there really a flood? Those things, hit them head on because those are things that are affecting us, that we're having trouble relating to that text and, and applying it to ourselves. So find out what those are and then apply it 
and then at the end, you know, finish the sermon well. And if you if you do these things, and every week, you know, if you, if, if you just decide, I'm going to focus on one other thing that I haven't thought about. I, I don't really ever think about what I do with my hands. So this week, I'm going to think about doing something effective with my hands and using them to communicate rather than letting them just sort of hang there. All right, just focus on that. And you've got a career, you've got a lifetime of ministry to just make intentional decisions about each of these things that you do. There's, there is no default in preaching, no default decision. No, you, you are exactly right. And you're, all these chapters do come back to the idea of intentionality. You talk about that when it comes to PowerPoint and slides. And um, one of the chapters that was most inf- impactful to me in this area was about how you look, your facial expressions. It wasn't until COVID hit that I got to see myself on camera and realized how angry I looked when I preached. And so it, it was a, a, to see myself on camera and say, well, that's not how I feel like I'm coming across, but the camera doesn't lie. Can you walk us through, maybe someone's listening and they think I need to get some feedback and I don't always see myself clearly. Do you have any uh, tips, whether it's a feedback group or a trusted friend, how does someone go back getting some of that feedback about maybe those things they don't notice about themselves? Well, you've got to be careful with that. I, I absolutely encourage it. You know, every great athlete has a coach. There are very, very few great athletes or you know, athletes on the professional level that don't have a coach, a personal, someone who can sit there and just see the little things. Even if they're great, they have, uh, they have coaches. So I think it's great to have someone. You really should. Uh, it's hard necessarily to find someone in your congregation, but maybe there's mm-hmm. someone there. Uh, but it, you know, preaching is, is different. So, so find someone who understands preaching, yep. who understands some of the challenges of it, but who can look at it and, and analyze your preaching, be open to hearing anything. Uh, the great thing, like you're saying now with Zoom, everybody's got their uh, their sermons or videotapes, so they can look at it. It's so easy to you know Dropbox it to a friend and say, mm-hmm. hey, can we? Maybe it's a cooperative thing. Maybe it's a fellow, somebody you were in seminary together with, or a, someone across town, and you say, can we just once a month trade sermons? and then critique each other and, and, and see what I'm missing and I'll see what you're missing. and It can be invaluable. Well, and that, what you said is so wise that it really does need to be someone who knows preaching. Uh, we'll get more than we bargained for uh, when it's not. But let's say a preacher is working on these things, a lifetime of change. How does a preacher know if they're being effective, if they're, they're being intentional and things are getting better? How do we, how do we gauge our effectiveness as preachers? Is your congregation growing with uh, yeah. an immaturity? Uh, not necessarily by numbers, uh, although that may happen. That may depend on a lot of things that are outside of control. But but what what are they doing? Do you find that they're deepening their walks with the Lord? And yeah. how are they working together? And how are they reaching out to the community, reaching out to the world? Uh, I think that's probably the, the best way. Now, if, if depending on your polity, how you're structured, you know, I know that sometimes pastors are concerned to talk to their elders or their deacons, uh, but that's it's a it's a worthwhile thing because as shepherds, if you've got a, a polity that has a, a, a committee or a, a board of elders, that that should be a joint thing that you're analyzing how is the preaching working for the congregation, and bring them in on it. Uh, sometimes I think pastors can feel isolated and can mm-hmm. in a sense isolate themselves. Uh, you know, choose their own sermon series, choosing their texts, but perhaps bring your leadership in and, and ask what they see are the, some of the needs and what kinds of texts that you should be preaching about and and then let them be part of it. Because I think if you draw them in, they'll start understanding what the purpose of preaching is in a mm-hmm. way that you do and they perhaps don't yet. 
Oh, that's, that's very helpful. Well, you talk about tech selection a little bit. And in your book, you also talk about having kind of this elevator speech of 34 seconds. You're with the CEO, you have your moment. How do you know when you're looking at a text that, you know, the issue of like rightly dividing the word, how do you know when it's one sermon, this text deserves one sermon, or I need to have two or three sermons here. I think early on I had sermons that had six sermons in the one sermon. So how do you, how do you handle that, that this is my one thing that I need to preach about? Yeah. Yeah. I remember being with my dad one time when uh, someone came for some help for him and he was going to preach on, uh, on John six. And my father said, well, what part of John six? He said, well, John six in one sermon. <laughs> so, you know, um, there's a trust the pericope, right? Trust yeah. that if, if you've got so much, then you really should narrow it down. Lloyd-Jones, you mm-hmm. mentioned him. Uh, you know, Lloyd-Jones, the Welshman, uh, he, he preached a year, I think, just on the Beatitudes, right? Yep. You know, so that's, now that's, I think that might be on the extreme line. He's, he's not us, and that's a bit extreme, perhaps. Amen. I don't think yep. the congregation is going to survive a yep. year on the Beatitudes. Uh-huh. Uh, but a week is probably a little too quick, isn't it? Yes. So, Trust the pericope, choose one that doesn't require you to go to a thousand other verses and go deep on it. You know, one of the things that we, we need to learn from you as you preach to us is that there's a profundity to God's word that we just don't quite get. And, and, and of course, none of us fully gets it, right? But boy, you can go deep on a, on a text. And, and if you teach us the, that fact that each text is, is, is rich and you'll bring that richness out, what a great gift to us. Oh, very, very helpful. Um, well, let's say, let's talk about your sermon prep uh, pattern and system. And let's say you're preaching uh, this Sunday. What's your process look like from, you know, picking out a text uh, if it's not already assigned to you or it's not part of a series? What, what does that process look like of just every day of the week? Here's how I prepare for a sermon as you head towards Sunday. Sure. Well, you start with praying, praying for wisdom. If, if you're truly, if you can pick from the Bible, that's sort of a, a different question. Yeah. What, what is your congregation? Uh, who is it? And if it's, a, if it's your church, you obviously have a good sense of where they're at. If I were invited to preach somewhere else, I'd want to know what, what's going on in the congregation. How can my sermon help this congregation in a particular maybe challenge they're going through? Uh, and then with that, prayerfully, you'll come up with a text. And then you go through the, the normal work that you would in terms of reading the scripture in its context, uh, consulting, uh, doing your word studies uh, as you're able and consulting commentaries. Some pastors say, oh, I never read a commentary. You know, I, I, there's some wisdom in, in just understanding what some other folks have done uh, and, and that have studied it perhaps in more depth than you have time to do. Mm-hmm. And then as that comes out, you should start seeing the sermon form. And the, the points really should come out of that 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 study we can be a, a bit obsessive sometimes because we've done all that work and now we've got all this that we want to make sure we say mm-hmm. and we don't realize that the congregation has no idea what you're about to tell us yep so if we only get a third of what you prepared we'll feel like that's pretty good uh that's probably a lot that we can that we can use so don't be too obsessive about it and then you know this is one of the things that i i, I found is that People get to that point of putting a few illustrations in and, and a few applications, and then they think they've got the sermon. And I, I think the last two hours of sermon prep, you, 
is critical. Now I say last two, I don't know where you are, how many hours it takes. And, yeah. and there's a lot that every pastor's got to do every week. So right. I appreciate that. But there's a last percentage. Is it the last 10%? Is it the last where you really work molding it? Not necessarily the, the, the word choices, though that's helpful, but the illustration, how do you make that illustration just a bit different? If you're talking about a car, do you just talk about a car or do you pick a particular car? And if you pick a Tesla, you just say Tesla, or do you say a Tesla, you know, model six? And then you just, you, you really try to add those little details that are going to give that illustration power. You know, illustrations of the Velcro that your sermon, your text and your, and your truths are going to stick to the, to the minds of the hearer. And so it's that last hour or two hours that really can make the fundamental difference between an okay sermon and one that really will have an impact. Oh, and it really goes back to what you've said in your book, but also in our time together of we are saying the things that God has said. And I would encourage every preacher to start with the text. Um, yeah, I, you, in, in your book, you say, uh, you talk about expository and sometimes how topical preaching can be helpful. And it's so true, especially if there's something that's come up in the congregation. And then I would even encourage preachers to make their topical sermons expository as much as possible. Uh, that, yeah. Right. Right. It, yeah. It, it's, it's the, look, if, if you're not preaching the word and you're not preaching Christ, then it's, it's going to be interesting, but in the end, it's not going to be helpful to us. Amen. Amen, completely. Well, when you preach, are you a manuscript preacher, an outline preacher, no notes, and why is everybody else wrong? <laughs> so, yeah, so this was one place where I, I you know, my, my dad and I had a little disagreement on, he would, he was a no-notes guy, mm. and he was, it was terrifying. Uh, he, he had no notes. Here's, I'm, I, I think manuscript is wrong. I don't think you should be a manuscript speaker, but here's my, my, my thing, and what I'm saying in my book is, look, be intentional about it. If you're going to do it, make that an intentional decision, not because you're scared or whatever, but that you're, but the, here's the problem with manuscript. You'll, you're forced to look at the manuscript and you're not going to be aware of what the, the hearers are hearing and how they're interacting with you because you're focused so much on the manuscript. Speaking now, I don't know if you found this to be the case, Ryan, but, but up here, everybody's masked. And that's the, the hearers are all masked during this COVID time, and that's really brutal on the on the preacher because you can't see their facial expressions, you can't see what they're doing. If you're doing, you're basically masking your congregation when you do a manuscript. It's also, you know, just give us the manuscript because why why are you reading it to us? So you can certainly start with the manuscript, get it down to an outline, and it's short an outline that you can walk through it. I think you know going up there without nothing, it's worth it's worth trying, uh, but. It's a little bit like the, you know, the, being the trapeze artist without a net. Okay. I think if you get it down to outline and you really know what you're trying to say and you know what the, the, the point of it is and you're, where you're going with the sermon, you're probably not going to end up looking at the outline. Yeah. And then you have that immediacy with the congregation. And you know, I remember one time watching my dad preach in a, in a ballroom one time. He was preaching about 1,500 people and he, um, he was talking about uh, new age stuff. And so he's just riffing on the new age. This is back in the uh, 70s, I think, 70s. And there were these beautiful crystal chandeliers, you know, in this ballroom. And he just stopped and he pointed up at the chandeliers and he said, see those crystals? That's what people are putting their faith in, these crystals in the new age, you know. And so mm. it was just everybody looked up and, 
you know, he would have seen that either right then or as he came in, he would have plugged it in. And but it created this immediacy to it. And of course, the silliness of putting your faith in these baubles that are hanging off of the ceiling. So it's a very powerful moment for him in the sermon that I'm never going to get that from the manuscript. So, yeah, no, that's, that's great. I don't remember where I heard it, but someone said that sermons are meant to be preached and not read. And, uh, you know, so you're, to your point about a manuscript, and it is a challenge. I was taught to use a manuscript, and I've gone to an outline in the last six months, but I think the preaching's better. The, you're exactly right. The, the sense of the, the masks and, uh, you know, that kind of, that side of, it's not just Bible study. There is a being in front of people and the, the way they perceive you and all that uh, takes into place. Uh, first, how someone listens to uh, God's word. Well, who are some preachers from today that, or maybe even throughout history that have just resonated with you that when you think this, this is really someone who's been helpful to me or people who've been helpful uh, to me, who are they? So, uh, yeah, I, I really, I want to be careful about calling out anyone who's alive. Right? Uh, <laughs> sure. You know, uh, even if they're helpful, I mean, people have such different styles. Yeah. And, and so uh, it's, you know, I think there's a danger in that. And the other thing, the other danger to that is that people then try to adopt that style as their own. Yeah. And one of the things I'm firmly convinced of this, a sermon comes through you. You're, you're the preacher up there. God didn't choose anybody else for this congregation for that mm -hmm. morning. He chose you. And so we want to hear it filtered, appropriately filtered through you and your experiences and your knowledge of us and your knowledge of the word. And, and that voice comes through and that's who we, that's who we come to. We, we go somewhere else if we went somewhere else, someone else. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a, it's a danger if you start trying to, uh, to, you know, mimic other preachers and be, be yourself, but just make great decisions and intentional decisions about who you are in the pulpit. That is, that is fantastic. And we'll, we'll safely say that your dad, we'll, we'll just uh, my, say, my, hey. my dad is the, yeah, he's the top. It's tough. It's tough to get around that. He's uh he's, I, he's my hero. No, oh, absolutely. And uh, for those of you who uh, know the history of preaching, you'll, you'll know uh, who he is and, and why he was so invaluable to uh, homiletics and, and preachers and, uh, Merwin, I want to thank you for sitting down with us today. This has been so fascinating. We're going to put an affiliate link uh, in the description, whether you're listening or watching. Uh, and I want to encourage you to think about buying this book. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to send me an email and, and we'll talk through them. But uh, this, what makes this book so invaluable in my mind, one, is it's not another how to preach for illustration application, uh, ex exegesis, but it puts those things in there in a teachable manageable and really a pastoral way and it gets you to think of how can you be intentional about your communication in all aspects uh, from your hand gestures to your facial expressions to your illustrations just the whole gambit very helpful and the other thing is you're able to take a book like this because the chapters are so short you could read a chapter in the morning and just chew on it that day uh, or that week and so it's a really helpful uh, helpful way in my mind to uh, to think through uh, think through the issue of preaching. So, uh, Merwin, thank you so much for being here. Rowan, it's really really fun to be with you. Pre appreciate it very much.
Our pleasure. And from all of us at Brave Daily, we want to thank you for participating in this interview. If you need help with Logos Bible software, you need to be coached, uh, please head to our website at bravedaily.com to get signed up with a coach. Or for more information on Logos Bible software, please head to uh, logos.com. That's L-O-G-O-S.com. Uh, Until next time, God bless.